hit me with a pie and then says, let's welcome our pastor here. So that's, I really, I really appreciate that, Eddie. He asked me yesterday if I would be willing to provide my face for a fundraiser, and so I'm very happy. It's not a lot of churches. Um, it used to be in the the early days of the church that if somebody was preaching on a corner, you could hit them with eggs and tomatoes and you know just anything you wanted to. But now there's just no real outlet. I don't feel like in church. You know, if you have frustration and you don't like my message, you know, and uh, and I'm gonna be watching really close who is the highest bidders. You know, I'm gonna. <laughs> my son already said he's been saving his money, so I don't know what that means. So. Oh, but praise the Lord. I tell you, it's amazing. Um, if you could watch every penny that goes out in missions and you could see what uh, God is going to reward us. The Bible says if we just give a prophet a drink of water, that we will be rewarded the same. And um, what an amazing uh, opportunity we have. Every penny that goes to that area... Um, this is going to an area of Alaska that you can imagine is not very well. Um, not a lot of people are able to get in these areas. I mean, like like we've talked about before, they're actually, uh, this bolt, I mean, is going to really pr- provide them the ability to reach a lot of people. And, um, and they're literally using packs of dogs and sleds. And, I mean, these are areas where, uh, I mean, there are some days in Alaska where there's no sunshine the whole day. So it's just an area that's kind of known for depression and, you know, a lot of things that God can really uh, change a lot of people's lives. So so let's have a good time, and let's see if we've got any ability to, to give. I'm just so excited that these kids not only get to give, but then get to watch and see what God's doing with this particular couple because this is a dynamic ministry couple. I mean, the, um, the guy uh, who's receiving the funds, I mean, he's one of the most dynamic uh, ministers, just this very loving um just a very godly couple, and I, I'm just really excited that we can help him. He's actually from this area, so so a lot of youth ministers know him and have met him and you know spent some time with him. So it's really a blessing for us to see him him get some help as well. <clears throat> I just want to recognize a few people here. I know they probably love me for doing this, but uh, Alex and Melissa, where are you at? You here today? Yeah, there we are. Uh, they got married a few weeks ago, and I just want to congratulate them. Very exciting. Um, and also my son, Braxton and Bobby, got married this week. Now my daughter, Bobby. <clears throat> Congratulations. And I wanted to recognize a few people. You know, it's really difficult for me sometimes because I'm still trying to figure out who's been here for the first time and who's been here many times over the years, you know. And Chris, I know you've been here several times because your mother, uh, Curtis and Julie, attend here. But Chris, uh, we've grown up together for a long time. Chris was in my youth group many years ago, and, and I just get so excited every time I see him in Shannon. And um, just really exciting to have you here. Anybody else here for the first time, just so I'll know that? Anybody here for the first time? I'm not going to embarrass you. Uh, Brandon has been here for the first time. That means he hasn't paid attention any time he's ever been here. This really is the first time he's just listened. Yeah, so that's, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't raise your hand. <laughs> oh, no. um, well, praise the Lord. Um, I have a message today, and um, I always believe that it's... I really love having hecklers on the front row. Do you see how I just continued on and didn't pay attention to the fact that he sarcastically said, well, I'm glad you have a message, brother, okay? 
That's all right. Actually, I work better under pressure, so that's good. <laughs> um, I always believe in uh, under-promising and over-delivering. So you don't want to come in and over-promise, okay? And, I, and I'm, So I'm going to say a statement here that's going to clearly sound like I'm over-promising. Okay, I'm putting myself at risk here. But if you receive the message that I have today, if it'll be able to deeply root in your heart, it'll change your life forever. I mean, it, you, you will never live life the same way. Now, could I overpromise anymore? But I really believe the message I'm preaching today, if you'll understand it, and you'll see what God is trying to speak to you today. These messages um, that God has given me to preach here have not been very difficult for me to acquire from God. I've sat down, and, and, and believe me, I'll sit there, I'll sit there for the longest time if I don't feel like I've heard from God. And these messages, God has just been so clear to me on each message what I'm supposed to preach. And and, and Mike, you, you confirmed. The message this morning. I don't ever show anybody my notes. My, my daughter asked me a couple times this morning, Victoria, she said, what are you preaching on? Give me a little hint. No, I won't give any hints. I won't tell anybody what I'm preaching. If the Lord says something, um, He meant for you to hear today. And today my message is exactly what Mike was saying, that he wants to, he wants this message to make you love like you've never loved. He wants you to have the peace that God expects you to have like you've never had before. And He wants you to have more abundance of those things. And But in order to get those things, we have to understand um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what my message is about today. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because do you understand that God said we're to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth? And God has asked us to go to the ends of the earth and tell them about this thing called the gospel. And God is just speaking to me that, that they don't really truly understand the depth of what the gospel is. You know, we know that Jesus Christ died. He was crucified and He was resurrected. And we know that's the gospel, but we really don't know the gospel. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would allow me to speak it the way He spoke it to me. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, You speak. Please take me out of the way, Lord. Hide me behind Your cross. Bury me. Lord, if they look at me and they see me, Lord God, and they find me, Lord God, they'll turn away. Let them hear You, Lord. Let them hear Your words. Speak clearly. Prophesy to their heart. Father, give it depth in their heart, Lord God. Let it saturate their thinking. Let it saturate their heart. Let it saturate their spirit, Lord. Right now, in Your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Everybody said, so be it. Amen. Job. Chapter 19, verse 25, and I'm just going to be there for a second. It says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. 
After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Something is burning in Job's heart. Okay, now Job, um, during this particular moment of Job's life, everything has gone wrong. He just gets a prophetic vision of God here. And it's prophetic. And just in case you're wondering if he, he if Job has had a bad day before he's seen this, let me start up here in... Uh, let me start in verse 17. You can go check very verses before, but this is where it gets really bad. My breath is offensive to my wife. That's a bad day. I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I loved have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped with only the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you ever get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, and that they were written on a scroll, that they may be inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved on a rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end I will stand. He will stand upon the earth, and my skin, when my skin has been destroyed, yet in the, yet in the flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Wow. This guy lost literally everything. You couldn't lose more than what Job lost. He lost all of his children, so he was grieving terribly. His body, the, the Bible says literally from head to toe, was just one big sore. I mean, literally every part of his body from his head to his toe was a sore. Um, he lost all of his wealth, lost all of his money. And by the way, his wife was going through the same things. I have very much... Uh, Compassion for his wife. She was going through all the things that he was going through. And everybody had abandoned Job and times could not have possibly been worse. And Job was becoming angry. He was, he was upset. He was frustrated. Didn't know where to turn. And God clearly gave him a vision of a redeemer. And it's pretty miraculous that he's seen him as a redeemer. And he said, my redeemer lives. He's alive. And he's going to touch his feet back on the earth and I'm going to see him. After my skin is rotted away, I will see him. So he realizes he's going to die, but he's going to see his Redeemer and he's going to see him personally with his eyes and not somebody else. It'll be him. So this old faithful saint had a prophetic word that he's seen in advance. All these old prophets, they've seen things in advance. God preached the gospel beforehand that we would later see in the New Testament. They were seeing these things prophetically. God, because their their faithfulness, God would reveal himself to them. And so he was seeing a redeemer. And I really want to get into this redeeming thing because here's I, I want to show you one of the things that I believe these old Prophet seen. In fact, 
I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. I want you to see some of the things they've seen, and then I'll let you hear them tell you in their own words. Chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. We've heard new heaven and new earth, so we don't really let our imagination go. So I need your imagination this morning. It's not the heaven and the earth that we see. But the Bible says there's going to be a complete renovation of what we have. It's going not going to be a different heaven and earth. It's going to be new, and that word literally symbolizes completely renovated and different. Everything that applied to the old heaven and the old earth will be gone. There'll be nothing left of it. But a new heaven and new earth. And he's seen this. He was watching it come down from heaven. And I believe some of these old prophets seen the same thing. Some of these old men of God who were faithful, God prophetically showed them the begin, the end from the beginning. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first earth passed away. Passed away. It's gone. Have you ever walked outside and said, this isn't how I would do it if I was God? Have you ever done that? Have you ever got fr- frustrated with God and said, there's not a God because if you were a God, you wouldn't do it this way because I wouldn't do it this way. And what God is telling you is, He didn't intend to do it this way. What God is trying to say is, He's going to renovate the heaven and the earth because something terribly bad is upon the earth at this moment. God is going to renovate it all. And by the way, when He originally created it, what did He say? It was good. Everything was good. All of it was good. He looked at it, it was good. So something happened to what was originally there, and God is going to renovate everything. And he goes on. He said, the old has passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That means that he's been preparing it because he really wants to show it to us. He wants to. See, he wants everybody to see. He wants to be able to display what he's what he's created. He he wants it for us. And it says, "And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and I will live with them.'" And He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. Again, this is how it was in the beginning. God was with them. God walked with them in the cool of the day. And He says, I will now be with them again. And He goes on. And He says, They will be My people, and God Himself will be with them, and and He will be their God. He, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now I want you to think how intimate of a portrayal this is. This is like a mother with an apron. child comes in and you want to do everything you can to take away the hurt. And they're hurt and she just intimately grabs her apron and just begins to wipe the tears away. But the one thing that she knows, she can't wipe them away forever. He's going to get hurt again. He may 
there, there may be worries in that mother's heart that he may get hurt really badly. But she wipes them away and to herself she thinks, hope, I hope I can wipe them away forever. I hope you never get hurt again. Well, God personally is going to wipe away our tears. And it says, there will be no more death. Now again, here's where the imagination has to kick in. you got to help me here. Alright, don't think about the rain. Don't think about whether your windows are down. Oh no, I shouldn't have said that. Eddie's windows are down. No? Okay. <laughs> Alright, we have a roof leak. Alright, here's your imagination now. Ready? No more death. I want you to think about how sometimes you get used to living with things. You get used to living with things that are around you and you just don't really think about how life would be if it wasn't around. No more death. Wow. No more mourning over anything. No more crying and no more pain. How far do we go? I mean, pain, how far, how deep does that go in this world? How deep does mourning go? Sadness, depression, death, all these things. He said, no more. This is part of the old world passing away and something new is getting ready to happen here. Now stay with me. He who was seated on the throne, oh, hold on, the old order of things has passed away. Everything about the old world is gone now. And now we've got to imagine what the new world is going to be like because this this is where this gospel, you begin to understand it. Okay, this is where you begin to start in understanding the gospel. He goes on. He's seated on the throne, says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So either say it's trustworthy and true or throw this away. Alright, because it's trustworthy and true, and this is the only document that was there from the foundation of the world. And I'm going to take a second here to explain that. If you study the book of Genesis, a lot of people will say, well, wait a minute, Moses wrote that in 1280 B.C. If you study the book of Genesis and you really understand um, the language of the Bible and exactly how they wrote it, the Bible says this is the book that God wrote in the time that it happened. And there's a sub, there's a break there. It's almost like a library book. It says, this is the part that God wrote. Nobody else could write it because that particular chapter that it says, this is the words that God wrote about the situation, nobody was there to write it. It was when he created the heavens and the earth and no man was around to write it. Then you have a witness, Adam and Eve. Adam seen a lot of the things himself, nobody else could see it. And then Eve came along, she seen things. And then the Bible goes on a little further, and it actually bookends two phrases to show you that it's a separate book, which is really never taught hardly. And it says, this is the generations of Adam as it happened in his day. Literally, this is what Adam recorded happened when he was there. Okay, so you could take another authority if you want, but this is the only document that was there from the very beginning. That means before the foundations were ever laid... God was recording what He plans on doing and how you can reach Him. There's no other book. 
And he began to talk about this Redeemer in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam records that God said, I will send somebody and he's going to put his foot on the serpent. And that's considered the first prophecy of this Redeemer. And man had sinned, man had ruined the world that God had made good, and evil came into the world and the world began to change. And God said, okay, there's going to come a Redeemer, and this Redeemer is going to crush the serpent. And the serpent will like bite his foot. So he's going to cause him pain in order to crush him. And so we begin to see that people begin to cry out for this Redeemer. Okay? Adam records a book. As you go through Genesis, several different areas, uh, Moses is very careful. Remember, Moses um, was trained in, in um, Moses was trained in the greatest schools in the world at that time. And Moses, um, basically, the Bible follows this family who records every single thing that God did from the beginning of creation. And this family. They follow all the way through the patriarchs, Adam, or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Where does Joseph, Joseph end up at? Joseph ends up as one of the, um, the nearly the prime minister of, of, of uh, Egypt. He's second in command in Egypt. Okay, so all these books that they recorded, the whole family ended up in Egypt in the palace, didn't they? Where did Moses get trained? In the palace. So God was very careful to record the very first conversations He had with man. God continued to record those conversations said, this is the book that Adam witnessed. Adam wrote it down, recorded it. This is what Adam carried over to his sons. And they moved on to the next son and the next son. You see the books of Seth. You see the books of Japheth. You see the books of Shem. You see, all of Noah's family is also recording everything that God does. And this is very important because God begins to lay the groundwork for a person that is called the Redeemer. Okay, and what does a Redeemer do? Okay, if you think of the word redeem, what do you think of? Okay, some some of you remember, set free or buy back, she said. Okay, so that means there was an exchange to buy something back, right? you got to redo it, rebuy it back. Some of you can remember the days when uh, you could turn a bottle in and they would say, redeem the bottle, right? So you turn the bottle in, you get something back, right? Or a coupon, redeem this coupon, you turn it in, you get something back, right? Well, God uses a lot of words here when He begins talking about a Redeemer. In fact, let me read some of the Scriptures about a Redeemer. It says, Psalms, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 78, they remembered that God was their rock and God the Most High was their redeemer. Don't be afraid, Jacob, little Israel, do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 43, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will, I will send to Babylon, bring down the fugitives, all the Babylonians and the ships in which they took pride. Isaiah 44, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Israel's Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. You notice, he constantly refers to himself as Redeemer. Now here's some of the things that a Redeemer does. 
To redeem means you buy back what was formerly owned. Okay, remember I talked about the earth was once good? Well, God is going to redeem not only your heart, but redemption is a whole lot more than your heart. Redemption is also, it's man, redemption of the earth. God is going to take back everything that was previously His. Right now, when man sinned, ownership left God and God allowed His ownership to be taken away. But this Redeemer is going to come, and here's what I want you to understand about this gospel, okay? This gospel that is supposed to be preached to the whole world, in order to preach it to the whole world, there has to be something universal that they need. Do you understand? Do you agree with that? In order for it to the gospel, does anybody know what the word gospel means? The word gospel is an angelic herald that basically brings the best news. Like really, really good news. And you say, well, what is the good news? And there are children around the world right now who are literally starving. And they need to hear the good news. There are people right now that have been falsely imprisoned for years and years and years. They're waiting for good news. Every person in the world right now needs to hear the good news of what God is about to do. Okay, but if all we think God did was died to save our sins, that is a very limited gospel and it's not very deep. But when you understand the good news, why it's so good something really incredible begins to happen in your heart. You begin to say to yourself, that's like a pearl of great price that's more valuable than anything I've ever had, and I'm ready to sell my life for it. And God begins to get deep in your heart how deep and how big this gospel is, and in a minute I'm going to begin to reveal how big it is. But first I want you to understand, it has to be something that universally is really, really good news. And sometimes we say, what is the gospel? And somebody will say, well, he died, he was crucified, and he rose again for your sins. And that is incredible. But that's not the full redemption. That is a part of the redemption, a big part of the redemption. But this redemption is full. I mean, we're talking about deeds to the earth. I'm going to show you a scripture in a minute where God has a deed for the earth. He has a will and a testament to the earth. His last will, a testament. And he seals it up and he says, this is the deed to the earth. And at the foundation of the world, God rolled it up, put it in his hand, and he said, the earth will never be restored until one person opens this. And on it was a seal that only one person could open. And guess who that person was? Wait, wait. This person had a whole lot more descriptions than Jesus Christ. This person had to be that Redeemer that he prophesied from the beginning. It had to be the one that every prophet spoke about. He had to fulfill every single prophetic word about what he would look like, where he would come from. Exactly every behavior of his life, it was statistically almost impossible for another human being to be it. And that person ended up being Jesus Christ. But it was so impossible from the beginning of the foundation of the world for anybody else to open that. And here's the problem. Only he could open it. 
Now, I want to tell you a story real quick. I've told this story a million times. In fact, kids who were in my youth group a long time ago will probably remember the story. But it's really important how you receive the gospel. Okay? And this story has always explained to me why it's important to receive the gospel the, the exact, the right way. But there was a man and he got into an airplane. And when he began to get on the airplane, somebody said, put a, put this parachute on. And see, that's what we do when a person goes to church, right? We say, put this salvation on. It'll save you. Well, why am I wearing it? Well, it'll, it'll, it'll make your life happy. Joyful and peaceful. Right? Because they put it on, they're like, well, why would you not put that on? Honestly. Like, you're only telling me good things that are going to happen in my life and you want me to put it on? Well, yeah, I want to be right with God. I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to be peaceful, right? So you put it on. Okay? This man walks on this plane and as he's on this plane, the first thing he begins to notice is everybody's laughing at him. It's like... Uh, Chicken Little, why are you wearing the parachute, right? And so people begin to harass him all around, okay? I haven't told this story before, have I, by the way? Okay, good, good. I tell it a lot. So he begins to get a little upset because they're harassing him. Now, have you ever walked... Got gone to work or school. They're like, well, why are you serving the Lord? And they're like harassing you. And they're kind of laughing. They're like, I can kind of do what I want. Why are you burdened down by having that thing on? It's hard to sit in your seat, right? How many of you have ever felt that little bit of, you know, persecution? It's like, so he sits on there a little longer and he just keeps on a little more and then He's kind of rethinking the whole thing. Why did I become saved? Why did I do this? Why did I do this? Well, finally, the thing that really pushes this guy over the edge is there's a stewardess walking down the aisle. And as she's walking, they hit turbulence. And when they do, she trips. And the coffee flies right in his lap. So the hot coffee burns him. This is what happens when the worst part of your life comes around. This is what happened to Job. But Job reacted in the correct way. This guy didn't. When the hot coffee hit him, even though it wasn't had nothing to do with the person that gave him the parachute or anything else, the guy jumped up and he said, I'm through with this. And he grabbed it and he just threw it down and he said, I'll never do this again. And that's how some people receive the gospel because it's going to make my life better. But then another guy gets on the plane. And as he walks on the plane... Same person comes up and says, wear this. And he says, well, why should I wear it? And he says, because the bottom is going to fall out of this plane. There's no doubt about it. And when the bottom falls out, that's all you're going to have. And so he puts it on. Remember, salvation is something you have to have. If you believe this earth right now is your portion... You know, and that's what the atheist believes. This is my portion. This is it. I will be the God of this world. We will take care of all of our problems. There is no God. There's only man. I will take care of my problems. And he said, there is no God, so they have no use for that parachute. But the man wisely says, put it on because there's 100% certainty that you're going to need it to save your life. 
And God says you must, you must humble yourself before God. You must uh, find salvation in God because the bottom of this world is going to fall out. There's going to be danger and you're going to have to have salvation. Well, the same thing happens with this guy as the other guy. He's sitting on the plane and everybody begins to laugh a little bit. His reaction was totally different than the other guy, though. He began to think to himself, why are they so dumb? And compassion is on his heart. He's like, why Why would they not? You know, if there's a certainty that this world is going to be recreated, the new heavens and the new... If it's certainty that God, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, if it's a certainty that God... Um, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but God will not receive it after breath has left our body. If these things are certain, why don't they, why don't they want one of these? And your mission, that whole flight is what? And I want everybody on here to have one of these. Because he, see, he received it totally different than the other guy. He wasn't thinking peace, love, and joy. He was thinking, I have to have it. You know, something else is, you know, I'm going to have to have it. Then the next thing happens, turbulence. Plane starts shaking violently. Coffee's in her, she's got a tray of coffee and it just, and just all over him. And man, it hurts. Scalding hot coffee on him. The other guy jumped up and just took it and threw it on the ground and said, I'll never do it again. You know what this guy did? He said, I will be so happy. When this flight is over and I'm off of this plane. And he's like, man, it's going to be such a wonderful time when the plane hits the ground, we get off and I'm home. You know, this flight is not exactly where I'm intended to live anyway. I'm ready for this flight to be over. And so the whole time he's there, he's got a heart for everybody on there. But he's saying, man, I'll be glad to get off of here. And see, this is what happens when you know who your Redeemer is. When you begin to get a vision like Job did of what what is coming, when you get a vision of what's happening here in Revelation, you begin to see God is not only going to buy you back from the formerly owned. Let me tell you some other re's. He's going to reconciliation. That means you regain a friend that was once your friend. God isn't like the salvage business. Do you see that? God is going to and fro around the earth and He's like in the salvage business. He's taking something that was once His and He's trying to regain it back. He's trying to get it back. He's trying to redeem it. He's trying to reconcile. He said, we are ministers of reconciliation. He said, all of us have been sent out to try to reconcile people back with God. That means God really wants to know you. God really wants to be your friend. God said, I died so I could know you. Do you want to know me at all? You say, well, I've tried to know God. Have you really? Have you really tried to know God? Because He's really tried to know you. He's really kind of went out of His way for you. You know, He kind of left heaven and kind of got mutilated worse than anybody's ever been mutilated. He said, I decided to do that from the foundation of the world to show you that I love you. So again, what have you done to get to know me? And God's saying, I am a reconciliator. Like, I knew you at one time. There was a space in your heart for me at one time, and now I want to regain you as a friend. 
He's in the salvage business. He goes on. How about renewal? He wants to make things new again. He said, I'll take your heart and I will renew it. I'll regenerate it. I'll make it new again. So again, he's taking something that once was, it got messed up, and he wants to renew it again. And he goes on and he says, resurrection, another re. You were once physically alive, and then they died, and God's going to re- Make them live again. See all this, this Redeemer is doing a lot of work here. Restoration. He wants to bring a person back who previously wasn't being destroyed by the enemy, and he wants to restore everything the enemy has stolen. So that means that universally I can go into any part of the world and I can say God is trying to take back everything that he has stolen. But it goes even deeper. It says, turn to Acts 3.21. And here's where we begin to get into the gospel. 3.21 says, let's start in 19. It says, repent. This is, uh, this is Peter reaching to the, or preaching to the masses after the day of Pentecost. And he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send Christ. Now listen to this. He was appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore. What's that next word? Everything. God's going to restore everything. And then he goes on and he says, as was promised long ago through who? The holy prophets. God has been speaking about the time when a Redeemer would come and He would restore everything. The Gospel means everything is going to change. Everything's going to be restored. The world that is right around the corner, it's not very long. Right around the corner. Some people have passed away and they're there now. Think about it. Everything has been restored for them. They're walking in a place that's not like this place. And I'm telling you, this world isn't much longer. God could come back in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, and it'll all be over and He'll restore everything. And I'm telling you, if you live to be a hundred years old, it's not very long. It's right around the corner. Be ready because there's a hope that comes into your heart. There's something that changes your heart when you realize what the gospel is about to do. When you understand what the Redeemer is about to accomplish, okay? The prophet said this. Here's some of the prophets saying the same things. Isaiah chapter 60. It says, Your gates will always be open. They will never be shut day or night. By the way, this is what it talks about in the New Jerusalem. These gates stay open all the time. Why? Because there's no enemy outside. There's nobody to come in and cause evil because all evil has been removed from the world. It's all new now. And the prophet's seeing this. He says the gates will stay open day and night. They may bring their wealth of the nations, the kings in triumphant procession. The glory of Lebanon will come to you. The pine 
um, the fir, the cypress together, and I will call you the city of the Lord, Zion, the Holy One of Israel. I will make peace your governor, righteousness your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, no ruin or destruction with your borders. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. There will be, then will all your people be righteous and possess the land. It goes down. It says, uh, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. Dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy all in my holy mountain. And then it says, in Daniel 7, the Son of Man was given authority, glory, sovereign power over all the peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is everlasting, will not pass away, and the King is one that will, revere, or will never be destroyed. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. So these prophets were seeing things that they did not understand. They were seeing things that are revealed in the book of Revelation. And now I want to begin to show you one of the most awesome scenes in the whole Bible. It's Revelation chapter 5. And please turn here. This is where the gospel begins to come together. Jesus lived. He was the exact person the Bible prophesied from the very beginning. This Redeemer will come. He will look like this. He will live at this location as a baby. He will come out of this city as a baby, as a child. He'll come out of this city as a child. He will be betrayed by this person in this manner. He will be crucified in this manner. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that say exactly what this Redeemer will be. He lives. He is that person. He dies and He's resurrected. Now here's a scene in Revelation chapter 5 that is absolutely amazing. It says, Then I saw the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. Okay, what's he looking at? God's on the throne and he has a right hand, right? And he's looking at something in God's right hand he focuses on. It says, it was a scroll with writing on both sides. And sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. Three levels of creation. Above the earth, the earth, and below the earth. John could not find anybody that could open it. John was well aware, and everybody in heaven at that moment was well aware that that was the scroll that contained the restoration of everything. You realize how critical this is? Before the foundation of the world, this scroll was in God's hand, and He said, this person will come. He will live. He will die. He will do it exactly the way I said. There's no other religion, people. You can go follow a religion if you want, but there was only one from the beginning. And God said, I'm going to restore everything. I am your Redeemer. And Job seen Him. Job said, my Redeemer lives and I can see Him. And John is looking all over heaven and he's just, I mean, he's weeping and crying because he knows that nobody can open it. And on that scroll was seven seals. And and under the old ancient law, there were two things that were sealed with seven seals. One was a a will and the other thing was a, a, a deed to property. 
And they had a seal on it, and only one person could break the seal, and that was the person that it, the person or the location that it was addressed to. It's kind of like the seal on our letter. It is a federal crime if you pull a letter out of somebody's mailbox and you open it. That's a federal crime. This was an official seal that says the only person that can open this is the Redeemer. The only person that can open this is the person that the Bible prophesies can open. Nobody else can open it. That means if that cannot be opened and the right person doesn't take that out of God's hand, the earth will never be restored the way God intended it to be. What a shame. Have you ever walked outside and walked through a graveyard? I'm telling you, this is what this gospel means. And if you could get this today, and if somehow I could preach it, have you ever walked into a graveyard and said, why did they have to die? Have you ever lost somebody you love? Have you ever looked around a graveyard? Well, what would this world be if there was never a graveyard? And that's what this Redeemer is going to do. Every person that ever died, He's going to resurrect them. He's going to resurrect them. Meaning death no longer is going to be a fear for us. The Bible in Hebrews says the people that live their whole life with the fear of death, it'll now be gone. Death will lose its sting. That means the gospel has reached my heart and guess what? I'm not afraid to die. Death doesn't scare me. I've almost died a few times and you know what? I had peace in my heart. Oh, and let me tell you, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this. The guy that had the backpack in the second story was full of peace, love, and joy. Why? Because he had that backpack on. And no worries, man. The bottom falls out. This is going to be a fun ride. It's like the whole time I'm here, i got peace, man. I've got joy. I've got love. And see, that's what the gospel does. You say, well, take it. You'll get peace, love, and joy. Take it for the right reasons, and you'll never worry again. If this gospel can reach your heart, if I can go into another nation, I can see an impoverished kid that doesn't have a meal, I want to preach the gospel to him. I want to tell him there's going to come a day when my Redeemer's feet are going to touch the ground. I'm going to see him with my own eyes and you're never going to be hungry again. I'm going to tell him you're never going to be in poverty again. Do you know the wealth that I'm getting ready to get? Do you understand how wealthy I'm getting ready to be? And if you're redeemed, you know the song of the redeemed. You're about to be wealthy. You say, well, give me some good news, pastor. Give me some good news. You said it would change my life. Well, what if I told you you won the lottery? Woo! Woo! All of a sudden, the redeemed are happy. But let me tell you something. The Spirit of God says you're about to be the wealthiest person in the world. That riches in this world will, 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 will do nothing for you. You'll have joy for a little while, but I want to give you joy for eternity. The Bible says everything that was created, all of the Heavens, the heavens that are endless, they were all created for those inheritors of righteousness, the Bible says. You're about to become wealthy. The only thing standing between me and my fortune is death. And death don't scare me. Death does not scare me. If somebody that I know loves God and they've crossed over death, I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy for them right now. And God, I don't even remember where I was at. Where was I at? Writing was on both sides. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody below the earth could open it. 
I said that from memory. Where was that? All right, verse 4. Thank you, Eddie. Eddie's more valuable than he is sarcastic. He's got such value. I should have never said anything. I wept. I wept. No one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now why did he say that? Because every prophecy said, There is a Redeemer that's coming. Those are some of the prophecies. He would come from David's line. He would be a lion from the tribe of Judah. He would be of the root of David. And I want you to see what he looks like. What do you think he looks like, a lion? He has triumph. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And this is the most dramatic scene maybe in the whole Bible. I want you to imagine angels are everywhere. Saints are everywhere. And all of a sudden, through the middle of it all, comes this individual, the only one who's ever been able to restore everything. And he walks through the middle of this scene and says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God and sent out to all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Now, I need your imagination again. Silence in heaven. Nobody can open it. He's weeping like crazy because nobody can open it. The earth will not be restored. We're going to have to live. Guys, I would have bawled. I don't want to live in this world the way it is. Do you ever get tired of picking up the paper? Like last night I was studying and an alert came in from news. I should turn that off. Ohio, 20 people were shot. They're trying to figure out who shot 20 people and killed several. And all the news you ever hear is this silly world that we're in that's full of sin. And somebody rises up and said, I got good news. My candidate got elected. Another one says, Oh, well, my candidate's going to get elected. And one thing that you learn from the Bible is we got to do our best to do what is right. But the Bible says the world will never be right until Jesus is the ruler that rules. Until he puts his foot on this earth and begins to rule, it says he'll be the prince of peace. And it says he will rule the world the way it was supposed to be ruled. And But here's this quiet scene in heaven. Everybody's bawling, everybody's crying, nobody can open it, nobody can restore it to the way God wanted it to be. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's not a lion that became victorious here. It's a lamb. He appeared to look like a lamb that had been slaughtered. And I want you to picture what he looked like in heaven at that moment. Because this is God I told you about last week. Remember I said I would never take a puppy. And you animal lovers must hate me. You must want to pay the most money for that pie. Because I said if I took a puppy and I did to that puppy what they did to the God of heaven, my king, you would think I was the most cruel person in the world. But they ripped his beard out. They beat his back until his guts hung out, hung out, hung out. His guts hung out. His ribs were probably exposed. 
You probably see vital organs, very close to seeing vital organs. Blood covered his body. He took enough lashes that a normal man would probably die from it. He was very close to death. He had to take a rugged cross on his shoulders, ripped his beard out, punched him, and asked who did it. To tell us, prophesy who punched you, and they punched him. You ever had like hair ripped out? Like, it's not a good feeling. They ripped it out and nailed him to a cross. Can you imagine me taking that little puppy and just nailing him to the cross? Nailing him to a tree and just say, hey, look what I did today. Come home and there's my beloved puppy nailed to a tree. That's how cruel sin is. And you say, well, I've tried to get to know God. Well, he tried, he's tried a lot harder than you have, okay? He's tried a lot harder. And here he comes walking through heaven. And there's this lamb. He's beaten and he's battered. I don't even know what condition his body was in, but he definitely looked like something that had been slaughtered. And I don't know if he was able to walk or if he crawled. I don't know how he went to the throne, but he walked up to God's throne and all of heaven got really quiet and said, look, there's the Lamb. The Lamb of God that He sent to restore everything. Not just your sins. Restore everything new. He walks up, grabs the scroll. And on this scroll was written the restoration of everything. You know what happens when he starts snapping the seals? First seal gets snapped. In fact, have you ever opened a letter and just like opened part of it and stopped? No. Pop, 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 pop. Open it up. When these seven seals are broken, that's the beginning of the final judgment. And the one that is opening it is worthy. I would imagine blood was dripping from his body on that scroll. This is a man that had been violently murdered for doing nothing wrong. He was worthy, and he opened it. And he began to make the process go forward. Instantly, you see a multitude of people, the minute he takes that scroll from the Father's hand, remember, he's waiting for God to send him to restore everything. And he grabs the scroll, and as he, and, and at the moment he grabs the scroll, you see a whole multitude of people in white robes in heaven. Most all... I won't say all, but a large majority of scholars believe that's when the rapture occurs. That this scene is actually happening, he grabs the scroll, and then there's suddenly a multitude in white robes. And the moment he begins to break the seven seals, something really dramatic happens on the earth. You've heard of the seven seal judgments in Revelation. That's Jesus, snaps them, and then all of a sudden the final years of this earth begin to tick away. All these judgments begin to fall upon the earth. And God begins the process of restoring the heavens and the earth the way it was supposed to be. Now here's the Gospel. Jesus, in fact, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 27. Those are the building plans that have been completed. Verse 54. I'm glad I found that because I just thought of that Scripture. At the moment, it says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up the spirit. Now, Jesus just died on the cross, right? At the moment, the curtain, at that moment that he died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split. 
I want you to imagine being on the earth at that moment. An earthquake happens when he dies. The temple is split apart. The place where the presence of God is was split wide open. And it said the rocks split. Now imagine this. Tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus was resurrected and they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is the Redeemer. I just want you to think about that for a second. I need your imagination again. Did you know that? Did you know that this man died? There was an earthquake, tombs broke open, and then three days later he was resurrected, and human beings were resurrected, walked through the city, and there were witnesses all over the place writing about it. Something amazing was happened. The Redeemer came to earth, was a man, died like a normal man, went to hell like a normal man. But what happened when he went to hell? Hell could not hold him because he never sinned. The curse of hell did not apply to him. This is our Redeemer. David talked about him. He said, I see my Redeemer and God will not allow him to see corruption. See, he went to hell because he was a man. But because he was sinless, he went into hell and he cleaned out a whole compartment of hell. The Bible says the righteous were waiting for a Redeemer. And the Redeemer came to hell and he began to release the prisoners. There was only one place you went when you were the redeemed before Christ. And that was a separate compartment of hell where the redeemed were. Jesus went down there and said, hell can't hold me. In fact, one of the prophetic pictures of Jesus was Samson when he picked up the gate of the city and he just threw it. A giant gate. Jesus, the Redeemer, was so powerful that, get this, hell could not hold him. And he grabbed the gate and he threw it. And he released people out of hell. These people were literally walking on the earth ministering to people. Okay? Jesus said, from now on, death cannot hold you either. Death can't hold you. And then he says another thing. In fact, it says in Revelation 21, there'll be no more. It says our body will be redeemed. That means there's going to come a day. We've lived with sickness long enough. I lay hands on people. Sometimes they're healed. Sometimes they're not. I'm just telling you. But there's going to come a day. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no pain. See, this is why I would give my life for this gospel. This is why I would go to the ends of the earth and preach the good news. Because you're not going to die. You're not going to have to see death. Everybody that's in the Lord, you're going to see again. Your body's not going to be sick ever again. You're never going to cry ever again. You're never going to worry again. You're never going to be depressed again. Do you realize the the implications of what happened here? The fact that he went into hell, cleared a whole compartment, and came back and was resurrected and sits on the right hand of the Father, took the scroll and took the deed, and said, the moment is about to come, God said, be ready. He kept saying in Revelation 21 and 22, be ready, be ready, I'm getting ready to come, I'm getting ready to come. Some people say, oh no. But man, I'm saying, come. Oh God, come. God, please restore the heavens and the earth. And then the Bible goes on and it says, but beware. Some of you will not be welcome in this city. It says, my Redeemer is coming and be ready. But it says, few there will be that will receive it. 
fact, it goes on and it says in Revelation 21, he makes a warning here. It says, He who overcomes will inherit all of this. Verse 7, 21 verse 7. He will inherit all of this. There's my inheritance again. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, and if you really follow that, that has uh, uh, largely to do with uh, drugs. Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars. Their place. Now, what is a liar? The Bible says what he's telling you is trustworthy and true. You speak anything different than what this word says, you're a liar. There is a Redeemer. He's on the right hand of the Father. I'm excited about it. I've received that good news. And he's saying, if you don't receive that good news, then you're living a lie. Because all liars... Their place will be in a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is called the second death. Oh, wow. 1209. Revelation chapter 21. Let me give you a homework assignment, okay? These prophets began to see things. John... The revelation, this revelation that John had, he began to see the holy city of Jerusalem. Okay, this city is like, uh, in fact, I figured the exact measurements of fourteen hundred miles cubed. So that's not that big. Fourteen hundred this way, fourteen hundred from here is like not quite California, but it's like Wyoming. Okay, fourteen hundred miles. Is that about fourteen hundred? Kentucky to the Rocky Mountains. I, I, I knew it was around here to Wyoming, I know. And then goes all the way up to Canada, to Texas Tip. Okay, this city, this is just a city, okay? This isn't everything. This is just the holy city that's like completely made out of gold, completely made out of jewels, completely, I mean, whole pieces of pearl. Like one whole pearl is a, is a gate door. Okay? And... It's also, by the way, 1,400 meters or 1,400 miles high. Now, where does that go to? You measure that? No, I didn't measure that. Okay. 1,400 miles high. Now, how is this possible? But God is very clear, and they were seeing this holy city that came down at 12 gates. It was full of the... In fact, there's so many jewels that make up that city, I don't even know what they are. I mean, I can't pronounce half of them. So I don't really quite understand how beautiful this place is, but Thessalonians, I want you to turn here. And I'm going to close with 1 Thessalonians 4.13. When I say I'm going to close, I'm going to make this last point. I'm not going to read it and close. Don't hold me to that. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says, Brothers, and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep and grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You know how many people live without hope? 
We believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself, listen, the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left behind be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. This message is to get you excited about the gospel. He died, he lived, he died, was resurrected, and then he gave us everything. He's going to restore this stupid world the way it was supposed to be. I'm not going to have to pick up my paper and see little kids getting assaulted. I'm not going to have to pick up my paper and see somebody murdered because God is going to remove every evil person from that city. You want to keep on arguing about whether God is alive or God is real? You keep on arguing, but I'm living to be in his city. I want to be in the place where he is my God. You want to say there isn't a God? He's my God. He's my Redeemer. I love Him. I want that city. And if you don't want that city, I'm going to beg you and beg you and beg you to live for God. But if you don't want that city, He's going to remove all evil from that city and He's going to have the world that He intended to have. He's going to restore. He's going to take it back from the enemy. I'm not going to have to wait for a politician to have hope in. I'm not going to have to wait for somebody to have a good plan because God has the plan in His right hand. That's my right hand, yeah. God has a plan in His right hand. And God says, comfort one another with this thought. And you know what I want to see? I want to see Jesus first. But then I want to go to that holy city. I I just want to see it. I want to see streets that are made out of such pure gold, it's almost clear. I've never seen that pure gold. I want to see what that gate looks like that's one full pearl. I want to see what this amazing place is that he wants me to see. And then he said, the gates are open because all the people are going to continue to come there to worship. So there's still a whole recreated world outside of this city that is incredible. And I just want to tell you today, when you think of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the gospel. It's not just that he died and was resurrected. It's that when he was resurrected, he took the plans from God of restoration, and He's going to restore everything. And sometimes we limit our gospel to what's going to happen to you from now to the time you die. And the best part is after you die. And somebody says, well, I don't have much hope. I don't have much to look forward to because I'm really sick. I may never get better. I have no money. I'm going through a really hard time or the best part of my life is gone. And I'm thinking to myself, you're about to go into the best part of your life. You know, you're, in fact, a lot of times I'll, I'll pray for somebody that seems hopeless and I'll say, your best years are in front of you. Like, what? I'm sick. I may never get better. I'm terminal. Your best years are in front of you. You've got to be like that guy that says, man, I cannot wait to get out of here. I can't wait to be the place that God wanted me to be. You understand that? This isn't the place. If you live in this world, you'll be depressed in this world. If your hope is in the world, you have no hope. Man, how can I hope in this world? I hope I have money. Well, when I get it, what am I going to do with it? 
You know, I hope I get health. Well, when you get healthy and you get healed, you might get sick again. Well, I hope I have kids. Well, i got to worry about my kids getting hurt now. I want true happiness, true happiness. I'm looking for the world to come. I want you guys to, to begin to say, like he said in Revelation, come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. Wake up every day, something bad happens. You say, oh man, it won't be much longer. It won't be much longer. You say, can you live that way? I do. I do. I don't hardly ever get depressed because I'm waiting for the day to come. You know, you got a bad knee. Oh man, that arthritis. Oh man, I can't wait to have my new body. Oh, praise God. I can't wait to have my new body. I can't wait to tell some kid in some third world country about the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? This isn't how God intended it to be. Not how God intended it to be. He died and was resurrected. He has the will. He has the building plans and he's going to restore everything. You, you, God, God didn't intend for this to be the world for you. Let's pray. Worship team. Heavenly Father, I've delivered your gospel with all of my heart, everything that's in me, Lord. Father, I pray that they would receive.